I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. And as always, there's a lot of things going on in law enforcement world, in court systems, in our political systems, and our cultural systems. Our culture is really problematic. So one of the things that's on everybody's mind out there that I thought I'd start with is the the concerns we're all starting to have now over artificial intelligence, AI, as it's being called. Now, AI is something that I guess if we go back to the beginning of the computer world, like when I was in high school, I took a computer programming class and it was this gigantic machine in the room and we had to sit and use like a typewriter to punch out these cards. And, the, and when you typed in the information, uh, you know, minor little things like doing uh, the small addition problems, three plus three equals six, that kind of thing. The machine punched holes in the cards and as the cards were loaded into the computer, uh, the computer would read the holes in the cards, and that's how the computer would know to look at the information. It seemed, it seemed amazing, even though to do a, a small set of calculations, I mean minor calculations, some addition problems, uh, mathematics problems, that kind of thing, uh, and get it to print out words or whatever, you would have to use dozens and dozens of cards and then load these cards in, and then the computer would read it. It was awkward, and I could understand where when people when people first started seeing like the the PCs um, the Steve Gates uh, stuff when he came out with Microsoft and then we had these PCs and I was yeah this is going to be a passing fad I remember that people were saying a passing fad because you know it, it seems so difficult and hard to do now on TV we had Star Trek which had the computer please put in your coordinates what do you want you know that kind of thing that seemed like science fiction. And it's funny because there's a saying in the world, does, does art mimic life or does life mimic art? So I think when we look at this and we saw this rise of computers early on, it seemed, you know, the idea that every home will have a computer. Yeah, sure they will. What are you going to do with a computer? And now we see where we are today. Just about every home has a computer. Your phone is actually a computer with a phone app on it, right? Because it does, how many other things does your phone do? And I remember we got our first computer. My son Joe was, was young. He was, I don't know, seven years old, eight years old. So it, it was early on in the, whole, in the whole process. He was born in 85, so probably maybe 91 or 92. We got our first actual PC computer. Uh, my father-in-law, Ted, uh, actually bought it for him because Joe was going to school. And he says, hey, I think he should be on top of technology. And he bought him a computer because Ted has always been a tech guy. He's always found tech fascinating. He bought GPSs when they were brand new. He was one of the first ones to get a cell phone when the tech was brand new. And he bought himself a computer, and then he got one for Joe. And, you know, we at the time, the schools weren't even really using them. Nothing was computerized the way we have it today. And you forget that. If you go back to the late 80s, early 90s, there was hardly anything as far as computers. My first cell phone um, in our detective bureau in 1990. 1994, we had one of these big battery-operated cell phones. It was gigantic. 
Uh, I'm going to say it was probably 12 inches long, three inches wide, and had a battery pack, and you had to carry that around with you. When we finally got the handheld, not a smartphone, but a smaller handheld, in 1996, I think we finally went and bought cell phones for our detective bureau. We bought two of them uh, because, you know, the technology was so new. And how many calls do you actually have to make when you're out on the road? We had pagers. Right? We used to carry a pager. We thought that was a great innovation because if somebody needed you, now they could get you anywhere. You'd get a page, bump, bump, bump. Hey, call Bob or call this number, whatever, and you go find a pay phone or a regular phone and you could call in and you could answer questions. But when we bought these two cell phones, we thought that technology was amazing. We would have to sign out for the cell phone, right? You sign out that you took the phone so everybody knows where it went. And then you sign it back in when you're done using it for the day or whatever. And uh, interesting case though, let me, let me diverge for a minute, tell you an interesting case about the cell phones in the police department. I took a cell phone out, I signed it out to do a, an investigation. And I came back and I put it in the charger and I signed it back in. Well, the next morning, uh, I guess the day shift crew, they came in and they're looking for, there's only one phone. There's not two phones, only one. So they call me, hey, where's the phone you took out last night? I said, well, look at the sign-in book. Don't you see that I signed it back in? And they're like, yeah, but the phone's not here. So you must have kept it in your box or in your bag or something or left it on your desk or something. I said, no, I came in last night and I put it in the charger. I signed it out and I left. Well, they didn't believe me. Now, they were not believing me teasing, but at the same time, when I got to work, the lieutenant says to me, hey, listen, uh, you know, all seriousness, I know you think you put the phone in the charger, but when I opened up the door this morning, the phone is missing, so you still have to have it. And I started thinking about it. I said, where the hell could a phone go that I know absolutely I put it in the charger? And I said, the only thing that goes on here after hours is we have a cleaning crew that comes through and they clean the building. I'm gonna bet that one of the cleaning crew stole a cell phone. Because like I said, it was brand new technology. Not everybody had cell phones. They were a kind of a unique thing to have. So what I did is I went to the phone company. I said, could you tell me the phone calls that are being made on the phone or any phone call? And they said, oh yeah, uh, I think at 11 o'clock, this call was made, which was the last call I made on the phone, 11 o'clock at night. And then, at 12.30, a phone call was made. 1 o'clock, a phone call was made. 2.15 a.m., a phone call was made. Uh, and then this morning, at 9 o'clock, a phone call was made. I said, ah, can you tell me the numbers that were called? And they told them to me. And, of course, I went to the phone company, and I said, listen, who were these numbers belong to? And they gave me an address uh, in the city of Asbury Park. And I said, that's where the phone, um, that number that's being called, is registered to. It's a, it's a house in Asbury Park. So I went there and I found out who owned the house and who lived there. And guess what? One of the members of the cleaning crew lived at that house. So I knocked on the door. I spoke to a very nice woman and I said, here's the problem. I think, um, I think it was her daughter. I think your daughter who works as part of the cleaning crew, I think she accidentally uh, took a cell phone. I don't know, maybe it was on the ground. She picked it up, put it in her pocket. I don't know, but she's calling the house last night multiple times and she called at nine and the woman says oh yeah she did call me this morning um and i thought it was strange because she wasn't at work i said that's because she was calling from our cell phone so long and short of it is um the girl came home her mother talked to her she came to the police station she turned in the phone and she apologized say she took the phone because it was such unique technology and she wanted it so she took it uh, of course, I had the last laugh on everybody who was telling me I didn't sign it in. I left it somewhere. I did something with it. 
Uh, and that became a joke for a long running joke for a while uh, about the cell phone. But my point being, the technology was so brand new. We went from pagers, from nothing to pagers to now cell phone on demand to next, you know, everybody has a cell phone. So I diverge and let me go back. So Ted bought the first computer for my son, Joe, and we all, you know, we, we saw some games on it. My wife and I, we bought a, uh, what was it, a, a Nintendo or something like that. And it had a computer built into where you could type out words. It, it seemed very rudimentary. And it, it just, it did not seem like it was really going to catch on. And who knew that as the technology got better and the PC got better and the software got better. Now, everything is computerized. Our whole world is computerized. So when I said, let's look at the, the phenomenon of does art imitate life or does life imitate art? We looked at Star Trek and I mentioned that. And in Star Trek, there was all kinds of technology that we could watch. Uh, and even though it was a TV show, it was made up in somebody's mind, there were basically cell phones. These were the communicators that all the, the characters used, right? They could speak to each other very conveniently. And it was a flip phone, right? Just like the first uh, flip phones that we had uh, in our world. In the TV world, they had flip phones. They had computers that could do all kinds of things, could run their ships, could do things for them. And, and that was like, wow, that's a futuristic, man. That's crazy. But you would speak to the computer and the computer would answer you. Yes, uh, this is where you have to go. Do And right, it was interesting. In Lost in Space, a TV show from the 60s, it had a robot that could think on its own, even though it, you know, it had to be programming, but it could think on its own. It had emotions. And when we saw all that, that seemed like, wow, what a futuristic, really cool world that would be if you could walk in. I remember seeing the show where you walked in, they said, lights on, and all the lights would come on, and TV on, right? And it, it, that seemed so far-fetched in the future that, you know, that's a place we would never be. Well, don't we have that now? Alexa. Serious, whatever you are, turn on the lights, turn on the TV, put it on channel five. Don't you talk to your TV now and you tell your TV, go to channel 22, go to Fox News, right? Go to the radio, put on America Out Loud. And it, it dials it for you. GPS, right? You talk to Siri on the one I have, Siri, to find this address, she plugs it right in, sends you there. So the technology was all on the positive side is what I'm saying. Uh, doctors now could use different kind of machines to look at parts of our body they could never look at before, to diagnose disease, to help people uh, survive, right? All positive stuff. Then along comes a movie called Terminator. Now, if you remember the movie Terminator was starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's right, I am Arnold. I'm a big man. I pick things up and put things down and now I'm in a lot of movies, all right? So Arnold uh, played the part of a robot, a robot from the future uh, that came, and I guess everybody knows the story, but for those of you who don't, Arnold played the part of a, a, a robot that had a under chassis of metal, a brain of a computer, and it also had skin and hair on the outside so that it could blend in with humans, right? That was the whole thing about it. And as a terminator, that was its job, it would terminate the humans, because there was an artificial intelligence that was created by the Cyberdyne Corporation. Uh, and the whole idea was that the, the artificial intelligence would be able to think thousands of times faster than humans. And therefore, if you gave it a problem, it could work on a problem much, much faster. It had access to all the information in the computer system uh, to put things together to come up with an answer to help humanity. It seemed like a great idea. And once it went live, 
this artificial intelligence uh, from Cyberdyne uh, was so powerful that what the first thing is did, it looked around and it looked through its databases and it looked at the news and everything going on in the world and it decided that humanity was a deadly species and the best thing to do was to wipe them out. And this is what the artificial intelligence decided to do. It started a massive nuclear war. It got into every computer system on the planet, took it all over, and it launched a nuclear attack on every country in the world, wiping out most of humanity. Then it created its own robots using robotic uh, construction places to build these terminators. And the terminators would go out then and hunt the rest of humanity to try and wipe us all out. And that, that was pretty scary. Now you have a scary technology. But at the time the movie came out, and until about, I don't know, a year ago, the idea of a, of a artificial intelligence that could really uh, think sentiently like a, like a human being that could make decisions as opposed to just spitting out information to you didn't seem all that real, you know? But this is where we underestimate technology and the speed of this. So now we have this AI artificial intelligence. Um, we have this chat bot, right? This chat thing, you can ask it questions and it has access to all the data in the world. It can write stories for you. It can write uh, term papers for you. Uh, I want a term paper on George Washington and the whole thing about him cutting down the tree and it has to be 10,000 words. Well, this thing can research all that data and then write in whatever style. I'd like you to write it in the style of uh, Thoreau. And within 15 minutes, this thing pops out a 10,000-word uh, report on George Washington cutting down the cherry tree in the style of Thoreau. And then you turn that in as your own. So we're, we're seeing that. Um, and you say, wow, that's crazy. And then people started remembering the movie Terminator and saying, hey, is it possible that this artificial intelligence could hurt humanity? Right? Could it hurt humanity? Well, if you think about it, we never thought Star Trek was real. But there is a uh, there's a program you can go watch it. Go Google it and look it up. And it was uh, tech, the technology of Star Trek. And what they did is they compared the technology that they had in the TV show in the 1950s, 1960s with the technology we have today to see how many things we actually have now. Medical scanners, communication devices, weapons, all kinds of things, computer programs. And you say to yourself, did the people who created these things... Did they look at those shows originally and go, hey, how do, you, how do you have a computer that could turn the lights on and off? Is that possible? Now we have smart light bulbs, don't we? Your light bulbs can listen to you. Uh, hey, turn on the light. Turn it off. You don't have to have Siri. You can do it through a light bulb. I remember there was technology uh, that started like that. Uh, there was the thing called the clapper. Now, if you're not old enough to remember that TV commercial, somebody walked in the room and it was dark and they clapped their hands and the lights came on. And at night you wanted to go to bed and you clap and the lights would go out, right? That seemed like, wow, that's an amazing technology. Saves me from getting my butt out of bed to turn the lights off. So all this technology is coming running at us. And now we have this concern, could AI actually hurt people? So recently, um, one of these chat AI machines was asked a question. Is it possible that AI can hurt humanity, and what will bring humanity to an end? And this uh, chatbot, ChatGPT, I think it was, thought about it and said a, a reasonable answer. Well, there's a lot going on with humanity. Uh, it is possible 
that humanity could come to an end. And here are the top four things I think will cause the demise of humanity. Now, can you imagine that? A machine telling you this? And here's what the machine said. Number one, climate change. Now, you got to understand that uh, uh, this artificial intelligence, it learns on its own. It learns from other programs and this and that, but it, it has to be programmed initially somewhere. So if you put in, uh, you know, all, a bunch of woke stuff that this is what the world is all about, it's going to kick out woke stuff. So this thing says climate change, one of the things that could wipe out humanity. Now, is that possible? It is. If our climate change to that degree... Um, that our oceans boiled away and we couldn't breathe and the temperature went up to 200 degrees. Sure. Yeah, that would kill everybody. Absolutely. But we all know that climate change is really a more of a political thing than it is a reality thing. Climate is changing, but climate changes historically across our planet forever. Remember, there was things called the ice ages where everything got freezing cold. There was ice two miles thick above my head here in New Jersey going back 20,000 years. And then what happened? The climate changed and it got warmer and all that ice melted and receded. And if you go back in the history, about every 70,000 years, there's another ice age that buries the planet in ice. So climate does change. I'm not a climate change denier. What I'm saying is that all of the nonsense, people have taken that and saying, hey, hey, look, there's hurricanes. Well, there's no more hurricanes now than there were in the past. There were amazingly powerful hurricanes in the 1950s, and then it was quiet for 20 or so years. Now we're getting more powerful hurricanes again. They're cyclical. Everything about Earth is cyclical because we're rotating in outer space. We're rotating around a sun, a big star. That sun is rotating around the center of a galaxy, and we go through different areas of the galaxy. It takes us, what did they say, uh, 20 million years to go around one time. So we've gone around about, uh, I don't know, 25 times we've gone around the galaxy. Well, we've had all of these different ice ages. We've had heating and cooling. Could that be all? Yes, that's what it all is. When the sun heats up, it gets warmer. And then there's periods when the sun cools down. You know, there's an 11-year cycle to the sun. The sun heats up and then it cools down. But it it does it on 11-year cycles. How come? We don't know. Trying to figure it out. But all Earth uh, weather is also um, cyclical. So yeah, there is climate change. Things are changing. Sure they are. Um, But I don't, it's not, it's not because I drive an SUV. That's not why. Um, Can can the SUV contribute to air pollution? Yeah, I think it might be able to do that because you got all this, you know, gas in the air. Uh, But the planet, you know, uh, I remember Rush saying one time, Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines uh, burped up a huge uh, explosion. And what the scientists said, that just put out more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than all of humanity has since the beginning in one burp of a volcano. So I think the Earth is capable of absorbing uh, all of that kind of stuff uh, and recycling it and cleaning it. Now, should we take care of our planet? We absolutely should. Should we pollute? No, we should not. Should we also uh, destroy our civilization by getting rid of, uh, you know, gasoline-powered cars? No, we shouldn't. Is it a good idea to, see, this is like a little test for everybody. Is it a good idea to develop uh, alternative fuels? It is a good idea. Does that mean we immediately jump to these alternatives that are not proven, that will hurt our economy, hurt our lifestyle, hurt everything about us? No, we shouldn't do that. We should continue to develop these things in the background 
and particularly here in America, we should continue to develop the resources that we have. Uh, you know, uh, fracking, natural gas, oil. We should re- we should be a, an energy independent country again, like we were under the Trump administration. Right, that would be the best thing to do. So that's the first thing that uh, the chatbot said: climate change could kill off humanity. And I say, yeah, you're probably right. If we had an ice age, uh, it would be tough. Uh, if we had a, a blistering heat wave and everything melted and uh, the temperature went up to 150, I think that would be tough for us to live. So maybe, okay. So number two. The number two thing that uh, the chatbot worries about there is nuclear weapons. Now, is that possible that nuclear weapons could hurt us all? Well, in the 1940s, when uh, nuclear weapons were first developed by the United States in World War II, they were used to end World War II. They were a brutal power that was more powerful than anything we'd ever seen before. And at the time, we were looking at the, the deaths of millions and millions and millions of people across the globe, and we were fighting two despotic, tyrannical regimes, the Nazis and the Japanese uh, imperial government. And the idea was, you know, they're not going to stop. They're never going to stop doing what they do unless we put a stop to them. So the uh, war in, um, in, the, in Germany was ended because our troops were, were brilliant, our people were great, and we overcame the Nazi threat, and we beat them back with the help of allies and uh, knocked them out. Then the war in Japan. As we were preparing to, to go to the final assault, because we were winning across the Pacific, as we were preparing for that final assault to the island of Japan, there was estimates that we would lose about a million United States service personnel. A million. And the Japanese people would lose multiple millions because they would fight to the death. They had children preparing for war. They had older women preparing to fight the Americans as they came on shore. And President Truman had this amazing new weapon that was so powerful, it was was hard to even comprehend, and he had a choice. Do I use this weapon? Which at the time, I'm going to say, people really didn't understand now, I'm not saying the scientists who created it didn't understand. The average person, and I think maybe even the president, he might have been briefed on it, but it was this amazingly powerful weapon that could devastate such a huge area that this would drive the Japanese to their knees. They would say, we don't want another one dropped on us uh, because, you know, that wipes out entire cities. So I think the choice for him was um, use this weapon, as brutal as it was, uh, to bring the war to an end. Otherwise, the war would not have come to an end without us losing another million uh, of our personnel. And we didn't start the war, but we were sure going to end it. And I think he made the right choice. Now, people say, oh, you shouldn't have. We used the nuclear weapon when we had it. Yes, we did. And it saved the Japanese people, and it saved our, our soldiers and our allies. So nuclear weapons are a potential to really destroy the world. In the movie Terminator... Uh, the AI made the decision to launch all the nuclear weapons against humanity to try and wipe us out. That was the idea. Art mimicking Earth or art mimicking life or life mimics art. In this, uh, Chatbot is saying, well, uh, the potential for an all-out nuclear war is real. So let's look at our world. Is there a potential right now for an all-out nuclear war? 
Well, we have the Russians who are nuclear powered to the teeth. We have the United States who are nuclear powered to the teeth. And we have the Chinese who are nuclear powered to the teeth. The Pakistanis have nuclear weapons. The Israelis have nuclear weapons. Uh, the Indians have nuclear weapons. So there's lots of countries now that have nuclear weapons. The Iranians are very close to getting them. North Korea, who's an evil place, they have them. So if you can see that if another war like World War II broke out, where you had an Axis set of powers, the Chinese, the Iranians, North Korea, uh, Russia, broke out and decided to attack the West, the United States, uh, the good guys and good girls, you can see how this conflict could quickly not just be bombs and, 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 uh, and rockets and whatnot, but could be nuclear weapons. And that would start an exchange, and all it takes is one one person launches one thing. One crazy guy in North Korea decides to, hey, I've had enough and I'm going to light up uh, Seoul. I'm going I'm to send a nuclear weapon down there to show my power. Well, you launch a nuclear weapon anywhere and it's going to trigger, I think, a retaliation across the world. And then you would have nuclear weapons devastating the planet. So Chatbot is not wrong. That is a, a threat, not just a threat. I think it is a real threat. In like in in light of our modern world and the things we have going on right now, all right. What do they keep saying? The Russians keep saying they might use a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine, and that would ignite uh, maybe doomsday. Uh, the next thing that Chatbot, ChatGTP, whatever it is, the AI predicts is the rise of artificial intelligence, uh, the rise of um, machines that can take the place of jobs, that can do surgeries that could go bad, could go wrong. But the rise of machines like AI that could take the place of people in the workforce, which would create, oh, that'd be great. You wouldn't have to go to work. No, you'd have no work, right? There'd be no money. You couldn't eat and that would create strife and that would create uh, anxiety. And now you might have civil unrest, which could lead to, uh, you know, we're not that far from civil unrest that, that breaks out everywhere. The only thing keeping that really, I think, from happening is people uh, who, are, who are not progressive, who are not um, out to, to attack and, and protest and destroy everything. The minute those people decide they've had enough and they're going to fight back, then we have a civil outbreak, I think. So, uh, you know, the, the rise of AI taking jobs, which they're now predicting, uh, they're going to take jobs uh, because you can get artificial intelligence to do just about anything and probably do it better and faster. It, right now, there's a, a writer strike going on, right, in Hollywood, movie and TV. And people are joking, saying, well, the, the chatbots could write better scripts than these people could. So they could be out of work. So it's possible that the rise of AI, the continuing way it's going, absolutely can be a destruction of humanity. Um, and the last one that predicted was a, another pandemic. Another pandemic or, or multiple pandemics. We have uh, biological weapons. Uh, the, the corona uh, virus, COVID-19, I believe, was a biological weapon created by the Chinese in a lab in Wuhan. And I think it got out. And we had a pandemic and we lost millions and millions of people. Well, Chatbot is saying, hey, uh, there could be more pandemics coming because we're not stopping creating those biological weapons. We create them, the United States creates them. Uh, I think well, everybody in the West has them because they're a legitimate uh, pursuit because we might be able to use it. But now maybe it's out of hand and you could see multiple of these things happening. So that's, that's the concern about AI coming right from the AI itself of the things that could wipe us out. 
So we should all think about that as we go forward. I know people are saying we should make a law to stop artificial intelligence. Well, let me tell you this. The genie's out of the bottle. It's not going back. It's only going to become either more beneficial or more dangerous for humanity. And with that thought, we'll be back in a minute. In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix Rx. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rx nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. All right, we are back. So listen... Uh, you know, I, I appreciate everybody's, you know, emailing and I appreciate everybody uh, sending me, uh, you know, messages and this and that. It, it's really nice to know that you're out there. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, people tell me they read the articles. Now, I haven't written a lot of articles uh, on the platform. I should probably get a few more up there. I've been extremely busy and uh, that's one of the things that kind of slowed me down. I told you in a recent episode, uh, I was finishing up a book. Uh, called The Investigation. It's uh, about how to conduct an investigation. It's available from blue360media.com. So that kind of took a lot of my time. Um, but I do like writing articles. And with so much going on in the world, I'm going to try and you know dedicate myself to uh, formulating some of my thoughts 
and getting them back onto paper and get them up onto the platform because uh, it's really it's really great to have that ability to do that you know to have an opportunity to to say what's going on but I do appreciate everyone out there sending me you know kind thoughts and kind words and we, you know you like Lieutenant Joe and I think that's great because I love all of you you know I don't get to do this if you weren't out there listening and this is. Um, it's cathartic for me. It helps me think through things. Uh, and I plus, I got a big mouth, and I run my mouth. So this is a nice place for me to do it uh, here in my studio. So, uh, you know, I, I always talk to you about regularly. We talk about um, healthy cell products. Uh, the healthy cell products came onto the network, I don't know, a couple years ago. And I saw them. I was looking for something to, you know, help bolster my immune system. You know, as I'm getting older, you know, I was in my 50s. Uh, getting into my early 60s now, and I, I want to stay healthy. I want to stay vibrant. I do a lot. I do a lot of work. I do a lot of moving around. I like to hike. Uh, I like to do all kinds of fun stuff, and I wanted to stay healthy. And I saw this product, Healthy Cell Immune Boost, you know? And what do I know uh, from this, that, or the other thing? But I know that your immune system has to be strong. And we just went through this whole uh, pandemic thing where if you didn't have a strong immune system, you could have a serious health issue. You could even have died. And I started taking this before uh, before actually all this went on. I started taking the Healthy Cell Immune Boost, and I found it really helped me. I've told you, uh, you know, 20 times when we get together, I tell you how much it helped me. Um, it's also helped Mrs. Uh, Kathy, right? She she takes it. So if you're looking for something to help you, if you have a sleeping problem, uh, they have something for for sleeping, helping you get REM sleep so you can sleep better and then you're healthier. And it's also stuff to help focus you, uh, helps you to focus your thinking and. You know, with so much going on, um, I bought some because I want to start taking it myself. I got my friends taking it. They're gonna, they're giving me, uh, you know, the guys from the neighborhood are giving me a little input on on how it's going. But I take the uh, the Healthy Cell Immune Boost, and if you're looking for something, give it a try. I think you'll really like it. So we left off, we left off earlier in our program with talking about the AI, and we're gonna end up, you know, we're gonna move on from that. But I found that really interesting that the artificial intelligence brain that's they're out there there's one of multiple them saying here's the four things we think could cause the demise of humanity and one of them was the rise of ai think about that so it sees into the future seeing that it, as it develops and gets more powerful uh and it can think faster and faster and faster it might be like the movie terminator where it decides one day you know what humanity really is a problem or maybe it decides that certain areas of the country are a problem and shuts off all the power. Maybe it decides you don't need that much electricity and shuts off your electricity, right? Maybe the government tells it, hey, you know, uh, we need to conserve money and we don't have the money. So just turn off the East Coast at 9 o'clock at night. Who knows? We can come up with any crazy scenario. I think... My whole concept of, you know, looking at the old saying, does art imitate life or life imitate art? What I think we learn from there is that we can't underestimate the power of this uh, AI. We cannot underestimate the power of these machines to learn and grow uh, and get more and more powerful. Uh, so, the, and the reason that I think I really realized the, the danger of these things, and it was, it was shocking. It had to be I don't know, maybe two years ago now. I'm, and I'm probably going to get this wrong. Um, I think it was IBM, right? International Business Machine Company, big giant technology company. I think it was them, but it might not have been them. Um, they had created a couple of AI machines to do some language stuff. 
uh, maybe interpretation, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but they had two AI um, computers and they communicated with each other and they worked on problems together and it was very interesting. Well, the technicians left on Friday afternoon for the weekend and when they came back on Monday, they found that over the weekend, the two AI machines uh, had been conversing all weekend and created their own language. Now, you say, okay, what's, why would they, nobody told them to create their own language. They did it on their own. Now, they did it because it was easier to communicate for them. I'm sure they uh, abbreviated a lot of things. They came up with uh, other things to make their communication simpler. It wasn't um, diabolic in and of itself. But what it revealed was if these two computers, these AI computers, on their own, doing a task that we ask them to do, can figure out, hey, we should create our own language and do that and not tell us because we couldn't understand what they were talking about. Uh, and they wouldn't give us the primer. So what they did is they shut them down, which was the right thing to do. But that in itself is frightening when you think about that. Um, created its own language and wouldn't give us the primer key to understand what they were talking about. So that's the danger of AI. And I think we all need to think about it because, like I said, it's not going away. AI is with us now. Um, and we better be prepared to have a shutoff button close by. All right, so what else is going on in the world? What else is going on in the world? Hmm. I, uh, I saw, you know, when it comes to crime and punishment, these are some of the things that, that I look at and I see what's going on out in the world. And we see officers still being uh, shot and ambushed and killed. Uh, in a previous episode, we talked about uh, a killer down in Texas who killed a family and he was an illegal alien. Uh, and Mrs. Kathy points out a funny, funny thing to me. She says... Uh, you know, in that situation, you know, they kept calling the killer a Mexican national. They didn't call him an illegal immigrant because our friends on the left in the media, they do not like the term illegal immigrant because they don't want to talk about them as illegal. They want them to come into the country. So they call him a Mexican national. And I found that interesting See, because words mean things. If you control the conversation, you control the words, you can control the thinking, you can control what people are doing. So I found that really very interesting. Um, but anyway, when it comes to, uh, to crime, there's um, this rise in crime never ends. I, I was teaching a class the other day and I had officers act literally from across the country and all of them said the same thing. And this is class after class after class that they are now being more reactive than they are proactive, which means uh, that instead of going out and actively seeking potential criminals to stop them from happening, people who may be driving around with weapons that may be used against you and your family, that might be used to rob a store or commit a, uh, a killing somewhere. The officers are simply going to the calls they're sent to and doing what they have to do so that they don't get themselves in trouble. This is dangerous for our society because the only thing that keeps a society safe is proactive aggressive police work where our trained officers are out there in the street looking for suspicious people, suspicious activities, looking for things that look like the precursors of a crime, and then taking action to prevent it, to actively go after those people who commit crime. Um, so even in New York, Governor Hochul has now introduced a, a crime bill 
that allows judges more discretion on bail and putting people in jail. Because while the whole defund the police, uh, let everybody out of jail kind of thing um, seems like, oh, that's great because it's not fair that people are in jail. We realize that there's probably about 15 to 20 percent of our population, our national population of all races, everybody that commits uh, almost all of the crime. And if those people commit crime and you lock them up, then crime goes down because the rest of the population across the board doesn't commit that kind of violent crime. There's about 15, 20 percent of our population that does. And, uh, you know, oh, great. I let everybody out because it's not fair. People are in jail for no reason. And that, that's not true at all. People don't go to jail for no reason. Um, you smoke a joint, you're going to go to jail for 10 years. That's not true. That never was true. You had to be doing distribution of, of drugs, of marijuana, to go to jail for a long period of time. Um, but anyway, long and short of it is um, this crime is, is starting to be, become such a problem. You're seeing major stores close down in major cities and leave. The population flight uh, from New York, I saw this the other day. I think they said the state of New York is uh, down $16 billion in tax revenue because so many people have moved out of New York and headed to places like Texas and Florida, where the tax burden is much less and where the freedom is much greater, uh, and the crime doesn't exist as it does in, uh, in New York. So it's interesting, it's interesting enough to see uh, Governor Hochul produce this bill that says, yeah, yeah, we're not going to tie the hands of the judge because the wording in the law previous to that was that the judge had to use the least restrictive action when someone was brought in front of them um, to determine if they should be bail or not. So the least restrictive action is to release someone on their own recognizance, no matter what they did. They sign a piece of paper saying that they will come to court uh, and you let them go. That's the least restrictive. And that's why people were getting out of jail, uh, getting arrested day after day after day. Literally, some people, one guy did six bank robberies in six days. One, he did two in the same day. He was arrested for doing a bank robbery, went back out and robbed another bank. Because they, were, you know, they get right out. Because the least restrictive is no bail, uh, recognizant. Out they go. So it's interesting to see even someone who is progressive and as liberal as Governor Hochul say, you know, we have to give the judges a little more leeway in these very serious cases that they can keep uh, dangerous people locked up because if not, they'll come out and, and hurt more and more people. And I think that pendulum, though uh, not fully swinging back towards law and order yet, um, is, is starting to resonate with people as we're starting to say, you know, you can't walk on your own streets at night. You can't take your kids out. You can't do a lot of things without getting raped, robbed, murdered out in the streets. And uh, that's no way to live. And I think people are, are starting to get sick of it. When businesses close and they leave, now you don't have opportunity to patronize those businesses. When you see some of these stores out west where they have this, this ridiculous law, a rewritten law that says uh, less, if you steal less than $999 uh, a day, you're not going to be arrested. Well, that's a lot of material you can steal from a store. A lot of people go in, 20 people go in, that's $20,000 worth of merchandise every day. You clean that store out. You see lots of stores putting cages over all of their merchandise. You want something, you have to ask somebody to go open the thing so you can have it. That's no way to live. And people are, I think, finally starting to realize, hey, we had a great idea here that, you know, the system is horrible to people. It's unfair. It puts people in jail that don't deserve it. We should change that uh, to realizing that, yeah, no, 
Uh, we arrest and we put in prison bad people who deserve to be away from us because they have let us know they're not safe, they're dangerous, and they will hurt us. And therefore, um, they have two choices. Stop that kind of behavior and live a decent life, or we will lock you up and put you in prison where you can't hurt us. All you can do is deal with each other in prison. So that was an interesting uh, turnabout. Now, on, on the world of... Um, I don't know, what do they call it? Vigilante justice. Vigilante justice is uh, where, and again, I'm, I'm talking uh, movies, because does art imitate life or life imitate art? So if we go back in the day, there was a lot of crime in the 1970s in our major cities, just like there is now. Huge amounts of crime, uh, completely out of control. And people felt uh, helpless to fight back against crime because, again, we had a big liberal movement going on and the policies of, the, of people on the left uh, were, were very soft on crime. And therefore, criminals don't go, hey, they're being easier on us. We should stop committing crime. No, they go, oh, that's a weakness. Let me take advantage and let me go rob and rape more people. Um, and that's what's wrong with those kind of policies and that kind of thinking because it doesn't match uh, humanity and how we behave with each other. Uh, when there's no penalty, the people go take what they want, do what they want. And it's dangerous for all of us. So in the 70s, there was a, a mo series of movies called Death Wish, starring Charles Bronson, you know, old school um, tough guy. And what he was, he was a guy who was victimized. I think him and his wife were out for dinner uh, and his wife was, uh, was raped and murdered or his daughter was raped and murdered. It was a couple of these different um, movies with the same theme that basically innocent person victimized by crime. Uh, and then he decided that the police couldn't help him. They wouldn't fight crime. The system was all against the victims. And he armed himself and he went out at night as an avenger of, uh, of, of the good. And he would find these criminals and he would eliminate them. Well, those movies were very, very popular for a reason. Because people did feel helpless. It was nice to see somebody striking back for the good people, right? Because you felt really bad. Matter of fact, I even started writing a story. So you know I write books about police, police work and school safety and all that. Well, I also write... Um, you know, fun stuff. I like I like to write fiction. And one of the things I started writing back in the day, and I'm actually going to see if I can, you know, find it in my files here, was a thing called the Star Chamber. And basically, it was um, the same exact theme. You know, I mean, Stephen King, one of the great writers of our time, uh, even if you don't like horror, he's a great writer. He knows how to put a story together and tell a story that's compelling uh, and interesting. And I like Stephen King's writing. His politics are a little bit wacky, but... I do like his writing. And he wrote a book called uh, Stephen King on Writing. And that's what it's about, how to write and how he writes and his process and all that. And I found it interesting. But when you look in there, you say, um, you know, these kind of, of stories that he would tell um, seemed strange and out of place, but interesting. So anyway, the Star Chamber that I was writing was um, about a, a family who was victimized. And the neighborhood was victimized and they could get no help. From anybody, law enforcement wouldn't help. Their hands were tied. The courts were were crazy. Left lefty courts that would let everybody out. And this, actually, this goes back to the '80s, right after the hor horrific part of the '70s and early '80s. That's where I got the idea from. And you know, same from Death Wish, I'm sure. You know, some of those kind of movies they were popular then. And what happened was that a group of these men, these fathers, uh, in this neighborhood decided that enough was enough. And when one of their one of their children was victimized really badly, 
they got together and they said, you know, the court let the guy out, some technicality or some nonsense. Um, this group of fathers got together and said, we're not going to allow this to stand. This is, this is dangerous. This person will hurt more people. And they went out and found him and grabbed the guy and they brought him back to their own makeshift court where um, one, of the, one of the fathers represented the bad guy. Uh, and then there was a guy who acted as the prosecutor, somebody who acted, um, uh, a couple of people who acted as judges, right? There was a couple of people on a board to listen to, to the guy's story, but it was done outside of the system. They basically kidnapped the guy and they brought him here and they were going to find him guilty or not guilty. And if they found him guilty, they were going to punish him with what they thought the punishment should be. Uh, and obviously at that time, based on the crime he committed, it would be the death penalty. And that's the whole, it was called the Star Chamber. And I started writing it and I got, I don't know, probably halfway through and I got distracted with other kinds of things. But the reason that I bring it up is because that was based on the experiences that were going on in the country at the time. You know, I was reflecting that just like the movie um, Death Wish reflected the, the frustration with crime. Well, we're back in that situation again. Um, and if you look back through history, you see how, how art does reflect what's going on. What do you think the Batman thing is all about and the Superman and all the superheroes? All those movies were the same thing. I mean, Batman was the, uh, the, the crime crusader who went out and fought the bad guys that the cops couldn't fight. And he went out and did them, but he did it under different rules, different ways of doing it. He did it without the constrictions of, uh, you know, of all the things we have in our law enforcement system. Um, we all know someone's blatantly guilty, but there's a technicality, so they'll get off. Well, Batman didn't care about that. He went and got them anyway. Charles Bronson didn't care. He went and got them anyway. And just like the characters in the story I was writing, they didn't care about that either. They wanted justice to be done. So interesting how that, that does match up. Um, and we see our politicians. How do they respond to this? How do our politicians respond to this stuff? Do they understand the concerns you have? Uh, about safety and security? Do they, do they worry about the safety of your family, your sons and daughters going off to school? Do they concern themselves with that or do they concern themselves with politics? Well, I think it's 50-50, it's depending on where you are and who you are uh, is the kind of response you'll get from your politicians. Some places are better than others. Now, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who... Um, I think she is an interesting person, but I, I think philosophically, I think she's not good. I don't think she's very bright in reality, but she does uh, she does a good job at what she does for her people, for the people she's representing, you know, the people on the left, the progressives. She speaks their language and she represents them, I think, appropriately with how they want to be represented. But recently, there was a guy in the subway in New York City, and I think he was a homeless guy. Um... And he was having a mental breakdown on the subway where you can't get away when somebody has a mental breakdown and you're stuck in the train. All right. Uh, it can be dangerous. People are shot. People are stabbed. People are raped in the train, even though other people are on the train with you. Um, so this guy starts to go off and have a problem. And a couple of people on the train are starting to get concerned and upset with this guy. And there was a young Marine, off-duty Marine, um, I don't know if he'd retired out of the Marines, but he was, they called him a Marine, a, a, a young Marine. He decided that he's going he's gonna to stop this guy from doing what he's doing, and he grabs the guy, and he puts him in a headlock, and he takes him down to the ground where the guy's fighting and, and wrestling and all kinds of stuff. And they held him there 
uh, till the police came. And unfortunately, the man died uh, in custody. They said the Marine gave him a chokehold. The Marine was, um, was taken into custody. He was not charged, uh, but they're doing an investigation. They documented and all that because um, the medical examiner says that he died from uh, compressions of the neck. Now, when you read the stories about this, and this is where people don't understand, you know, chokehold and not a chokehold and this, that, and the other thing. The purpose of a chokehold uh, is to render someone, uh, to incapacitate somebody. You basically choke off the blood to their brain till they pass out and they stop attacking you. That's what the purpose of a, of a chokehold is. Now, if you apply it for too long, the blood cuts off to the brain, the person can die. And that's, that's usually not the intent, but that certainly can be the outcome. So this Marine uh, choked this guy out. Apparently, uh, the guy went out, but it said it went on for 15 minutes. He kept him in a, in a, in a chokehold for 15 minutes. Well, let me tell you, if you get put in a real chokehold, um, you're not going to last 15 minutes. You're not going to be able to speak. You know, you can't say, I can't breathe, I can't breathe when you're in a chokehold. Uh, if you can speak, you're not in a chokehold. You might be in a headlock, right? You might be in a headlock, but you're not in a chokehold. Uh, the whole idea of being choked is that you can't breathe and the blood to your brain stops. So people that say, you know, I can't breathe. You're choking me to death. You're choking me to death. They're not being choked to death. They might be in a headlock, but they're not being choked to death because you can't speak when you're in a chokehold. So this man died. The police took him into custody and uh, they've declared it. Uh, the medical examiner said it's a homicide, which basically means uh, it was a death caused by another person. Uh, whether it's justifiable homicide, whether it's, uh, you know, not justified, and then it would be murder. That's the difference, uh, because we do have people kill people all the time, and it's justified. It's still a homicide, because one person killed another. Uh, but if it's justified, then it's a homicide. If it's not justified, then we have uh, murder, which is the intentional taking of someone's life. Then we have manslaughter, doing something recklessly or something that potentially could cause someone's death. Uh, doing something accidentally, right, is, is all these different ways. So in my book, The Investigation, one of the first things I do is I explain these different definitions. So when you hear the news, you're, you're more apt to understand what's going on. So the police released this guy, this Marine, without any charges because they're now going to look at the medical examiner's report. They're going to go to a grand jury. They're going to decide, was he justified in doing what he did? Was him uh, with the actions he took to take this man down, who was potentially dangerous to these people on the train, um, was that was that proper thing for him to do to protect himself and everybody else on that train? And did the man die because the person purposely did it? The Marine purposely choked him out and killed him. That would be murder. Um, or did he accidentally apply too much pressure and the man died? That would be manslaughter. Or was it uh, the, a, a matter of uh, determining that what the person did was appropriate? And it's unfortunate that the man died as a result of this. But if he hadn't been acting up and going after people, the Marine wouldn't have take, taken him down and he would begin to gotten off the train like everybody else. So interesting to see how that one's going to turn out. Um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, chokeholds and this and that, and they can be dangerous. And if they're not applied correctly, people can die. And that's why most police officers are prohibited from using chokeholds. Uh, unfortunately, what we see out in the world is a lot of things that are not chokeholds uh, per se uh, are called that. And that, that ignites people's, inflames people to be upset. And there's no reason for a chokehold and you shouldn't do it. 
and it's unfortunate that we don't really talk about it. Now, many police agencies trained the officers to use a chokehold. They use it in wrestling, right? In jujitsu and all these other kind of uh, martial arts. A chokehold is a legitimate thing. You, you apply certain pressure and the person passes out and you win. You get them, you, you stop them from going. And that was the idea in law enforcement. If you could do that instead of shooting somebody, that was better, you know. But now most agencies have uh, banned the use of any kind of a chokehold because you don't want people dying in custody. Um, the reality here, though, is that, and, and people don't really want to recognize this, but it's true. The police don't just run up on you and decide to beat you, uh, put you in a chokehold, knock you to the floor, uh, kick you. Yes, to my, my crazy friends out there, yes, there are occasions when police officers do bad things. There are. They're very far and few from what happens. What really happens, and this is what really happens, an officer confronts an individual for a legitimate reason. The officer was sent there to investigate someone's behavior or something going on. The officer makes observations of someone being suspicious or doing something they shouldn't be doing or assaulting someone. Uh, or someone else uh, screams and yells and the officers roll up and see what's happening and they have to take action to protect people. And what happens is the person who's perpetrating the activity, the negative activity, they don't want to be taken into custody. They don't want to be held responsible. They want to get away. And it's not the job of the police to let people who have committed crimes to get away. So therefore, the officers then try and take them into custody. And here's how this works. An officer says, you're under arrest. And the person stops what they're doing, puts their hands behind their back, they're handcuffed, and they're taken for processing. When people don't do that, and they fight, and they run, and they push, and they use weapons, and they try and kick and bite and all this other stuff, then they get injured by the police. Right? Cops don't go out there and just start beating people. That's not how it really works, no matter what you see on TV or what people try and tell you. Um, that's not how police officers behave. So this is, a, this is a case where we're going to see how that comes out. Because there's another one, too, uh, recently out there. There was a young man uh, who died in custody. And we're finding out now, when you read the story, they're saying uh, the officers went to take him into, into custody. And he resisted. And he fought with them. And then he ran. And they caught up to him. And he resisted some more. And then he got away again. And the third time, they finally got him. And they, they got him handcuffed and in control. And they took him to, uh, to headquarters. He went to the hospital. He died a few days later. How many times was he going to fight with the officers instead of just surrendering? Like we're all supposed to do when we get a lawful order from law enforcement. You may not agree, but that's the right thing to do. You go to court. You get a lawyer and you fight the charges. right? You don't fight the cops in the street. So that's our conversation today about law and order. I'm sure we're going to have more in the future. I appreciate everybody being here. Uh, this is uh, Lieutenant Joe signing off saying, remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.